My guest today is Crystal Markham Brown and her daughter, Madeline Dusky, age 24, passed away nearly two years ago in a terrible accident involving a drunk driver. This was a story, if you live in the Boise, Idaho area, that was very prominent in the news. And so we're going to talk about your story and Maddie's story today, Crystal. Thank Uh, you for having me. First off, I want to know a little about Maddie, who she was. What was she Mm -hmm. like? Um, uh, she, she, uh, was awesome. Of course she's my (laughs) daughter, but no, um, she was very strong willed, very, um, go getter. She was very social. Uh, she, um, was fun, a very good mom and she, she was amazing. And she had, um, I think a lot that she would have done in life had she continued to live. I mean, I just, she was an amazing young woman. Like I, I'm not even saying that I was accountable for that. She, um, had some struggles that she was going through in her life, but even during all the struggles, she managed to like buy a house and like, I would have never done that at 24 with no struggles at 24. Yeah. Yeah, With two small children, um, on her own. Like I didn't help her. I didn't give her any money for that. She was just a very determined young woman. So, uh, um, I, I know that she was going to do amazing things. Um, I think that she had, you know, two babies back to back that she had some time in there where she might have struggled with a little like, you know, postpartum stuff like that. But she even with that still when she was kind of in a really bad place, managed to buy a home and move out. And she had a huge network of friends like nobody was a stranger to Maddie. And after she passed away, um, we got so many messages from kids she went to high school with about how she made them feel included and a part of things. Hmm. And, um, you know, she was in choir, but she was also in rugby and soccer. Um, we died when she came home and and asked to play like rugby. We're like, what? Where's this coming from? And so it was like the first rugby team at Capitol. And when you went, like it was, they didn't have anyone to play against. So it was like the women's rugby team. So we're all like, Oh my, this is scary. You know, but she loved that. Um, so she did everything, but she also was well known for, she had a really nice voice. So she was a really good singer mm-hmm. in high school. So, um, luckily we have a lot of those recordings and they're nice to listen and to remember her and to share with others. Um, hopefully one day share with her kids, we share them with them, but they're little. So, yeah. but no, she was an accomplished, amazing young woman. She was honor roll student in high school and her in school. I never had to tell her to do her homework. She was driven. She's good kid. Good kid. Yeah. So on this fateful night of November 18th, 2017, she had two kids that were three and one at the time. Yes. Okay. And what happened essentially? So the children were with their dad. Okay. And she met a friend to go out who she always went out with, Katie. And they went to Bardenay because they knew the bartender there and they were hanging out and, um, Maddie would often, I think what she would do, she didn't like disappointing people, right? Like she didn't like to upset people. So, you know, she would not, didn't like to say no. She was really bad at saying no. (laughs) So kind of didn't work in her favor in life, but, um, she, uh, would 
go out with a friend, Katie, and when she was ready to go home, she would just leave. She'd get an Uber and she'd go home and they didn't even know, you know, they have to text her, where are you at? Or, and Katie was known to do that too. So it was pretty known thing that, that that would happen. And so that night she had left, told them that she's going to get an Uber because I think maybe they wanted to go out and she wanted to go home because she would get her kids in the morning and didn't want to be total, you know, she needed to rest. She want to be exhausted. <laughs> yeah. Right. She didn't want to be totally exhausted. So she, I don't know if she was crossing the road to get away so she could call the Uber and they wouldn't, you know, be able to sway her to do other. So I don't know exactly what was happening there, but you know, she wasn't in her car. She had her keys in her pocket and, um, she was, I assure you, uh, calling an Uber the, in her, um, email, you could see lots of Uber rides. She lived with me. She Ubered mm-hmm. home all the time. That was just very typical mm-hmm. for her to do. She was yes. very responsible in that way. Yes. She'd been drinking. Yes. Okay. So she crosses Eagle road and she is hit by a truck mm-hmm. driven by a man named Adam Paulson. Yes. Who had been drinking significantly. Yes. In fact, from what I've read in the news, his blood alcohol content was 0.21, which is nearly three times Mm -hmm. the legal limit. Mm -hmm. And what happened from there? Did he immediately get out of the car? Did someone see this happen? What what happened? I don't believe anyone saw it happen. They say there was a witness that saw him before it happened, but I don't believe anyone saw it happen. Okay. Um, Because this is at what time of night? It was at 12 after midnight, shortly okay. after midnight. They don't know exact time, like maybe 12, 17. Right. They don't know exactly. Um, so from what I understand is uh, from the cases that he didn't slam on the brakes, he didn't turn. Um, he was going over the speed limit. Uh, I think he was going 53 in a 40. Um, and he hit her and then ended up parking or pulling over in the left-hand lane and from what I remember, she, uh, he, when the, somebody arrived who happened to be a paramedic and I just, again, would like to thank that young man uh, for yeah. being there for her, um, in that moment. And I have thanked him, but if he hears this, I just want to thank him. So that young man got to her before Adam came over and then he came over and apparently that young man had dealt with people that, you know, that in these cases because he was a paramedic and he said, don't let that man leave or something, but he used a cuss word. Right. (laughs) Um, And then another man had come up too at the same time who actually came up on her um, when her body was still in the road and he saw her body and he was able to slow down and um, help too before, I think before Adam got there, I'm not 100% sure. But, uh, and then she was, I I, I don't know, I don't think she was pronounced dead until she arrived at the hospital, but I'm not 100% sure. But she didn't suffer, like her spine was hit, so there's, you know, she didn't know what hit her. Right. Um, But, um, yeah. So this ends up pretty quickly going to court. He's arrested. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing that stood out in my mind and I think in the public's mind a lot, you know, is he did not seem to show remorse, not even in his mugshot. I mean, Mm -hmm. there was a little bit of a a smirk on his Mm -hmm. face and there was pretty big public reaction Mm -hmm. to that. Yeah. Um, So he is never 
he has not pled guilty. He has not owned up to this. Yeah, he he's pled not guilty and he's appealed it. Since. And what is his reasoning for that? For the appeal or for not pleading guilty because he was because I think he believes that Maddie is as much a fault. I think he believes that it was Maddie's fault for being in the road for not pushing the crosswalk sign and whatever Maddie was doing is irrelevant to me because I yeah. really feel like. He's it, it started when he got behind the wheel of the car yes. drunk. Right. And I, I mean, I get it. Yes, you shouldn't be walking across the street intoxicated like Maddie was. I get that. Sure. Whatever. But and she was wearing dark clothing. That was one of the arguments. Yeah. Correct. And if it, it wouldn't have been her, it would have been somebody else. It could have been a carload of people. It could have been yes. somebody down the road from that. I mean, the moment he got in the car is kind of where it starts. And from what I understood, he was offered a lift ticket to free one. Um, so it's kind of, you know, and at this point he was already on probation for drunk driving and domestic violence. Is that correct? Yes. From okay. what I could, you know, tell you, I could look that up the day after I found out who he was. Yes. Yeah. So this goes to court and what was the verdict originally? Um, I, the jury found him guilty. And the sentencing was and the sentencing ended up being like uh, probation. Um, so he had to be in a sober living house for 60 days, but he could come and go. He just had to be back at 10 at night. Yeah. So basically he could do whatever he wanted all day. He had to do community service and he had to have a job within a month. And so in February he had a parole hearing, which the point at which point he didn't have a job. Um, and so he said it was because of the media that he couldn't find a job. Um, you know, people were not hiring him, but you know, at his sentencing, he actually said he had a job lined up ready to go. So, um, I don't know if he had done, I don't remember. I didn't go to that because I had my daughter's kids that day and I refused to give up time to go to that, um, take time away from them. Um, so I believe he hadn't done any community service either at that point, you know, it'd been a month. Um, but essentially I think the shocking part to the community is he received probation. Mm-hmm. He, w- he didn't receive jail time. There was something about, uh, S- time suspended, served. time served in a suspended 15 year yes. prison sentence, which mm-hmm. I don't even really get what that is. Yes. Um, but this man's back on the streets, right? I mean, at the at time, that point, at yeah. that point mm-hmm. he was back on the streets. Mm-hmm. And he was also ordered to pay child support to Maddie's kids, mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. Has he been able to do that to any degree? Well, not now that he's now, no. And he, I mean, no. and even at that point, getting a job and that, that really, you, you had to know that probably wasn't really going to happen yeah. in this case. Yeah. You're not going to get a lot of money no. there. So as your story goes on, um, he's out, he's in this, this sober living facility, he's on probation. And then... This past April, correct, he was found tampering with his alcohol monitoring device. Yes. And the excuse that I read in the news was that he had not been drinking or trying to drink or anything like that, that he, he, there was cologne on his ankle mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. was that, that, that was. Yes. Device. <laughs> yes. Which make of that what you want. Uh, after that incident, he did end up receiving a heavier sentence, correct? Yes. Which I think, you know, he'll be up for parole in five years, um, counting time served. So it's going to be about three and a half years. Um, which is so crazy to me in these cases where a life, like a beautiful,
beautiful young life is lost Mm -hmm. and you've got two kids that don't have their mom. Yes. And you've got you. Maddie was your only child. Yes, she was. Yep. And this is this is what we do. Like, this is what this man has served. That's. Yeah. And it's and it's rough. You know, and it's not that I, I I wish the worst for Adam. It's uh, I think there's a lot of reasons why I think I, I it's not that I wish the worst for him. I, I guess is what I want to say. I don't wish Which the worst for him. Incredible. He had not pled any guilt, in right. my opinion. When you're spending a lot of money to fight something, that's I mean, it's obvious what happened. Like it doesn't yeah. to me matter. Again. What matters is the moment he got in the car yes, already intoxicated when he wasn't even supposed to be drinking because he was on probation from his records online. You could see he was on probation and ordered not to drink um, for a domestic abuse thing. And so to me, it's like that's the moment it happened. And he was not owning up for that and already on probation. And that to me is a dangerous person to stick out on the road. I just I feel like. Definitely. It just kind of fed his ego about it, maybe, and that he did need to be served some time. But, uh, you know, the judge kind of pointed out that it, there's no programs in jail for these people um, to help, um, you know, help them get better with their addiction. And so they, he would do be- better um, out and that he had the support of his family. She felt like his family was a good support system for him. And I, I, you know, I'm all for like, like let's look for alternative and better ways to, um, you know, help these people that are addicts. But, um, if he is an addict, I'm not 100% sure, but the way they talk sounds like he is, you know, I'm all for like alternative sentencing, but maybe if you've played not if you pled guilty right and owned up to it yes because i i I think that's the first like like you know like i think that's the first like you're way more i mean if you can just think about it like with your kids if your kids you know act like they didn't do something that you really know they did i mean it's just that simple to me that if he's not owning up to it why should he have this you know the leniency there mm -hmm. and he was already on probation it wasn't like this was his first time you know he'd already been on probation he chose to drink he chose to drive. And there should be significant consequences mm-hmm. for that. Yeah. And it, especially for somebody who's not pleading guilty at all, like right. who's spending a, a lot of money. And, and so with him not pleading guilty, it puts uh, it put us through this like week long trial. So there you have to understand that there were things about that accident we didn't even know. Yeah. So we had to learn about these things in the court. And in front of the world that maybe you didn't even want to know. <laughs> right. Or, you, you just, know, eventually just, I might've wanted to know, but not in that kind of a way, right? you know, about exactly what happened to her. But I wasn't, you know, as her mom, I mean, I'm her mom. I'm going to be there. Like, yeah, I loved her with all my heart and I would suffer for that to be there for her to, um, you know, be there because she, um, in the court, you've, you know, she was no longer Maddie. She was the victim in the road, the girl in the black. That's how she was referred you know? to. Yeah, it was. And you're like, this is my daughter. Yeah, and it's your daughter, and it's like she's just become this. Oh. The, you know, basically, there's a court case against her, and she can't even be there to represent herself. Right. So you have to be there, and so you have to endure a lot of things that you know. Had he pled, um, you know, guilty, and you know 
there was, to me then, you know, maybe he deserves to have a sentence like she handed him that day. But he put us through a lot of stuff we wouldn't have had to go through. We wouldn't have had to hear, you know, the 911 calls, the, you know, guy on the phone as he's tending to my daughter who's in the road. I mean, there's so many things that we wouldn't have had to endure unless we wanted to. Yeah. And this is on top of already incredible, in my mind, like... Oh, incredible. Yeah. Unimaginable grief. Unimaginable I I have two kids myself, and I... Yeah, it's unimaginable. It's like every mother's absolute worst nightmare. Absolute. Like, there's nothing worse. Yeah, there really isn't. I mean, they're just... uh, they're just is anything worse and uh you know you'll never i'll never forget the night that the cops knocked on our door and it was like somewhere early in the morning i don't know exactly what time and um you can't cry you don't know what to do like i just fell to the ground and put my i put my head down and because i didn't want to remember their faces the you know, they were so nice and kind and helpful, and but I didn't want to remember their faces. Um, yeah. And that moment is it's an unbelievable moment. Like, I really don't feel like, um, I don't, I, I, you don't for weeks, months, maybe years, and even sometimes today, it doesn't feel real. Yeah. I mean, it just, it and doesn't. And I'm sure it's one of those things, and I've never suffered anything even close to what you've gone through, but whenever I've had something sudden and traumatic happen, it's like you want to just go back and stop time or reverse oh. it so badly. You replay it in your mind over and over. Like, how could this have been different? Could someone yeah. have, oh. you know, I, I can't imagine well, keep how in many mind, times. we don't know what's really, I mean. I can't comprehend when the policeman come to tell me that my daughter's dead, what's yeah. gone on. I can't even You're comprehend just total it. shock. Total I'm- shock. Can't comprehend it. I I can't understand what they're saying. Yes. So then you kind of go into this weird mode of shutdown, but then I'm receiving information from news. Right. About how this happened and occurred. Because I know the cops were reaching out to us by Monday, obviously, but I wasn't answering <sighs> my phone. Yes. And I didn't even understand why the cops were calling us. Because you're just, you're in a state of shock and I mean, grief. I had no That's idea. The there's, least of your you know, I, yeah, I don't even think about there be a case or, you know, what this all yeah. entailed at that point. And so finally, I think Maddie's dad was getting calls and he answered the phone, you know, and then I think within the week, I think that week we had to go and speak to, you know, Boise Police Department and, you know, the, the, um, prosecution's office so um yeah you just go through the motions and I just didn't understand (laughs) and even up until the court date you almost don't understand what's going on it's just it's a lot to comprehend and it's a lot to try to take on and understand and it's just a very hard thing to go through when you're going through something so harsh yes like the death of your child is uh, you know, like you said, unimaginable pain. And so then you're trying to process all these other things that are going on. And um, how have Maddie's kids been doing? They were so. They're so little. They're little. I mean, so, I, you know, her daughter remembers so, her, but I mean, they were just so little that that's probably harder for me than anyone else. I mean, I'm just, you know, I don't want you to feel sorry for me or want anyone to feel sorry for me. And I know that they're going to have struggles for that, but they were little. Is it, is it 
the fear that they won't remember her is that one of the sure. toughest parts oh yeah well then i'm sure just knowing what she could have brought yes. to their lives you know oh Here's absolutely she- it's a very hard to watch um you know and thankfully like you process this stuff like in I mean, you can only handle so much. Like, let's just be honest. Like, yeah. the world, like, your my world completely fell out from underneath me. Because understand, like, uh, being a mom was, like, the most important thing to me. And sure. so I've, I had struggles. I, you know, I, her dad and I were divorced. We remained friends. I remarried. You know, there were struggles. But my goal from a very... I mean, I didn't have a family. I had a broken family. I went from neighbor to neighbor. I didn't have a family. So having a family was huge for you. Yes. So then when I ended up divorced, I beat myself up for years. Um, we've, I'd finally come to a good place. Um, you know, I, we were making good money. We, life was good. And I wanted to just be grandma. Like that's all I wanted to be. I felt like I had arrived. Yes. (laughs) And I, you know, I had a job where I coordinated at the YMCA, all the group exercise instructors. I loved my job, but I wanted to be a grandma and I wanted to help her and I wanted to be the best mom I could be and be there for her. So she didn't have to struggle. Like I struggled when I was single. And so I felt like I had, you know, this was awesome. You're really at a high point in life just prior to this happening. Oh gosh. Yeah. Just, we had just moved downtown. We'd only lived there two months and she had just moved. So luckily when a tragedy like this comes in, in some ways, this is lucky that I don't, I didn't process everything at once. It didn't occur to me that, Oh, they'll get new mommy. Right. You know, like that didn't occur to me right away, but when it did, then, you know, I have to process that. I have to grieve it. I have to, I mean, it's nobody's fault. I'm not like, no, but you know, I, obviously that'll happen. They want that too. I'm sure, but uh, it doesn't make it easy. No. And so, um, you have to process that. Um, I also just feel, um, you know, that, that connection that me and the kids would have would, would have been kept by Maddie when like, when your kids are teens, seeing grandma is not going to be, you know, but she would have been at our house all the time and they would have been at our house all the time. And so there's a lot of things that I, um, because of the nature of, you know, life that I worry about. And that's, you know, obviously being disconnected from them because it's just natural behavior. And so Maddie was the only thing kind of tying us to that. So, um, I, I feel abandoned yeah, because in a sense, you've lost. I mean, even though you still see these I see kids, them, and I'm very grateful. It's not in the way that it would have no, been. No, I'm not the grandma I wanted to be. I mean, I'm, I'm still grandma, and you know, I can, I get to see them, and I'm really grateful and thankful for that. And in no way want to act like I'm not. I'm. They are what kept me going because, as you know, like kids, you have oh, to yeah. be present. Yes. So when they would come to see me, um, this it would go away. Sure. Sure. You know, even though like at first when they come, I would like be sad and thinking about Maddie and, but when they were there, like that went away and I, your kids demand your attention here and now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that I was so grateful every week when they would come and, and very grateful that their father kept them coming because it did help get me through that in my life. So, um, but I, you don't realize the things until all at once. Like it wasn't all at once that I, I that occurred to me that yeah. oh my god, which like you said, maybe that's 
this weird blessing good. in disguise yes. that your brain just can't process yes. all of that at once because I don't. Yes. It seems beyond overwhelming. Oh, yeah. To it, do that. It, yeah. You know? It was. And so it would just hit me in pieces. So, yeah. you know, as far as grief goes, for me, it's like it's an ongoing process. Like, um, the first year you're grieving, but then we have this court case, which then reopens it and we grieve again and then reopens again and we grieve again. Right. And Just so to, when you're starting to feel some healing, it gets yes, torn apart It's again. been a complete roller coaster, which yeah. is just, and also just birthdays and holidays and yes. they can set you back. Like, uh, it can like just really take a, the toll on you and like, it can just reverse you. So I just have to, sure. you know, pay attention to those things. But again, when the kids come, it's like life is restored for me. And um, I so appreciate that. That, But it, it comes with sorrow as well. It comes with, you know, joy and sorrow. Well, grief has all sorts of mm-hmm. emotion connected to it. You know, there's anger mm-hmm. and there's... You know, thinking like I said before, how can how can I reverse this? There's a control factor. Mm-hmm. There's incredible sadness. There's loneliness. Oh. There, you know. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you felt very isolated, and in some ways, you can when you watch the world continues to go around. Yes, and you're living with this. Yes, right. Yes. What are some ways that you've been able to just? get through. I know you're a yoga instructor. Yes. Um, what have you done to just, cause I think all the time I think, God, give me any, like, give me anything, but don't, don't take my kids. Right. Okay. You can give me anything. Yeah. I know. Um, I hate, but being, not that. And yeah. so how do you, how do you get up in the morning and keep moving forward and, and, and living life? Um, first of all, I had a, wonderful support system um and so i want to thank you know all those people that helped me through like you know mad obviously helped me through but most importantly the my um um employees and the you know people at the y yeah so um i think i went back to work after three weeks to teach but understand i'm a group exercise instructor so it to be the person that's supposed to stand up in front of everybody and be happy is a very big task, but understand this is my job for my entire life. Mm -hmm. I, I had just stepped down from being a group coordinator of, you know, 40 staff people and I was just teaching when she died. And so this is all I know, like this is what I do and I, what I loved. And so it's a very big task to be in complete ruins and have to go teach. And so I was very frightened the very first day and very, you know, of of course course they, I only taught half a class, whatever. But, um, uh, it was, it was the people I work with that helped get me in the door. They helped get me through the class and it was a really good feeling to go because I thought that was going to be taken from me too. So at this point I'm going to try to go back to work and hope that I can do it. But at the same time, it was taking, I was so afraid that that was going to be taken from me and it wasn't. I made yeah. it. I did it. They, the people that came to my classes helped and supported me. And so, um, I showed up as I was, I mean, there were days I would be crying on my way in, mm-hmm. but I would go Yeah, and I would show up as I was. Um, I didn't hide my grief and luckily people would help usher me and usher me out because it was more of a fear that people were going to want to console me, which they did. The first couple of days were harsh, you know, cause of course they want to do that. 
And so they were very harsh at first, but, it, you know, as time went on, it was fine. But then I also would notice every time there was a court date or there was news story about it that I would go through this whole other weird experience going yes. back to work. Yes. But f- for the most part, work was like the only piece of me I felt like I had left. Yeah. That wasn't in ruins. And so when I could do it, it felt good. Even though it was hard to get there, it was hard to be that person standing up in front of people when I inside, I felt like complete crap. Yeah. And I've noticed too, I don't know if you feel the same, but whenever I've had some sort of tragedy in my life, I really cling to anything that feels like yes. a normal piece of my life. Yes. So I'm sure for you, that felt like this feels like an, an everyday thing. Yes. You know, which is kind of helpful. You got to kind of cling to to that because everything else Mm -hmm. is chaos. Mm -hmm. I still cling to those things. Like I still feel like my life is complete chaos and that there's very few things that are left with comfort for me still at this point. Yeah. But work was one of them and I was very, very grateful. And it was, you know, the beautiful people I work with, beautiful people that come to my classes and um, the support system that I had. Um, that got me through that. And then I have a really like amazing and I, I mean, this sounds so cliche because, but I have an extremely amazing husband. That's right. I That's do. huge. And he is, a, uh, he's just very supportive and knows how to hold space well. So I have, you know, a good support system, but you know, that doesn't mean it makes this easy. It's not, no, no. Uh-uh. I have a lot of ups and downs and a lot of good days, a lot of bad days, but I just have to learn to live with them. I kind of, I think people think it goes away. Yeah. It's not going away. It's not, it, this is something that you get through. You don't get over it. No. Like you get through it, you know? Yes. You, and you learn how to manage it with your life. Like right. you learn how to, they can coexist. Like I can, um, you know, feel sadness, sorrow and grief for Maddie's death. And I can feel joy at the same time. Sure. I mean, that happened immediately. And even. And do you feel, did initially, did you feel guilt over that? Like anytime you did feel joy, like maybe I shouldn't be feeling joy? A little bit. I know a lot of people feel that intensely. I've heard people say that. And I I did at times, sure. But then I don't. I wouldn't say that was like really strong for me. Yeah. I think I was open to feeling the joy and that, uh, but I mean, it wasn't big amounts of it. I mean, it's like, well, and in some ways you had to, it's all absolutely joy, welcomed it too, just yes. to have some sure, sort of, sure. And also just, there was joy occurring that you don't see until later. Like again, the community outcry, the, um, support I got, um, which is also very overwhelming. So there's so many things as a, when you're first dealing with, a major death and a grief where people are responding. I mean, it's overwhelming. Yeah. It's overwhelming. And you're in the space where you like almost too much. Yeah. And people are coming and you know, you've cried for like 24 hours and maybe your tears are dry. And then you're wondering, are they thinking I'm, you know, not sad. And it's a really bizarre on top of just like dealing with this awful thing that's happened. You're dealing with emotions about it. You're dealing with, how you're feeling and, and you don't want to hurt people's feel. I'm so, I'm so in touch with people and I'm so caring. I don't want to hurt people's feelings. Yeah. You know, they mean well. Yes. It's so overwhelming. It's really overwhelming. And then, and I think about this all the time when I see tragedies in the news, that's got to fade away. Yeah. Yeah. And what does that feel like? Um, like like, you said, the world goes on. Yeah. But my, my world's the same. Yeah. I mean, I think that all in all, and when I speak to Maddie has, four parents. <laughs> um, in the last few months for Jeff and I and Christy and Ben are the other parents, uh, have been 
hard in some ways. And I think it's because things, you know, Adam went in, Adam went to jail in June and we haven't had any uproars with that stuff. So we're not dealing with that. Yeah. And so maybe we're processing it. Um, but I, I, I really don't feel like we've had a lot of time to process all of what's happened and that she's completely gone because of what we are dealing with on the court and the case. And the, I mean, that stuff yeah. kept you away from what you needed to be dealing with. So, right. I mean, I kind of feel like we're just on the ice, you know, that we're just kind of touching that right now. Like it's just starting for us. So, um, but I still go to work. <laughs> I still yeah. operate and I just have to do what I can. Um, but I also don't want to be, I, I want to be very open and honest about it because I think of other people suffering or suffering this loss and I don't want to create this image that I'm fine when I'm really not sure, but I can go to work and I can have good days, but there are a lot of heavy days still. And I just try to be as open and honest about it so that somebody who out there might be suffering with their life depression wise. And they're thinking, Oh, look at her. She just lost her. Yes. And she's fine. Oh, I'm a total piece of crap. Like, I just want to be honest about it, which it's hard to be honest about it. I mean, I'll just be honest with you. Uh, you Nobody says this to you. Nobody says, get over it. But you kind of get that sense that and that sense. feeling because our culture is that way. Yep. I yep. mean, our culture is that and way. And they've moved on. And they've The world moved has moved on. Yes. So they almost expect yes. you two to. Yes. And so it's very hard to share. And nobody yeah. wants to be like a negative person. Right. So it's hard to share. But I, I really feel so there's uh, in your, you know, darker hours, you go and search for people that might understand you on the Internet. You know, we have. Google yes. Now. Yes. So um, which can be a big blessing. Yeah, it can. Uh, and, it, you know, it can be really helpful for those of us suffering silently. But um, so I went online looking for a book that somebody told me, have you read the book? It's OK that you're not OK. Um, I've heard of that book, but I haven't read it. Uh, so the, or it's OK. If you're not, I don't know. There's it's okay to not be okay. With a similar, like, right. with a similar title. Mm-hmm. Well, I ended up running into the book that I needed, which was It's it's Okay That You're Not Okay, I think, by Megan Devine. And she has written a book that's honest about, you know, grieving and what it really means and how our culture needs to change. She, so for a resource for people, um, Refuge in Grief. Um, Mm -hmm. She has a um, Instagram page, but she speaks openly and honestly about it. And her book was like heaven. I think it was a year after, you know, of course I've given it to people since then. Um, Or I would have brought a copy with me today, but I always give it away because it was like the first book acknowledging how I felt. Right. It wasn't about my healing. Yeah. It was about um, how do you process this and why am I feeling bad by the comments people are saying to me, they mean good. And I was starting to beat myself up like, Oh my gosh, I'm a jerk (laughs) for not appreciating these comments. Not appreciating these comments. I'm a big jerk because nobody means bad things. And you knew that. You're just not um, educated on on grief. And a lot of it's hidden. It really is. We don't talk about it enough. And I don't think that we connect over it enough. Like I, I can't even fathom the grief that you've experienced, but I know grief and I know loss. Yes, we Uh, all grieve. And so I think that we have to start connecting over that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, yeah, I don't know exactly how you feel, No, but, but I know, you know, I just think that we, we need all know to, loss. we need to share our stories. We need yes. to, 
you know, be more compassionate towards each other. And when you see Mm -hmm. someone that's going through that, reflect back on the times when you've been there, maybe even to a smaller degree, Mm -hmm. you know? Yes. Um, the other part that I really want to talk about here is the drunk driving and what a problem this is in our society. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure through your tragedy and getting online and finding people, you've seeing how huge this is mm-hmm. how big is it mm-hmm. it's big i i forget the numbers exactly i sure wrote those down because i my memory is shot but it's big um i think i don't even remember last i heard but I, I mean i used to know this i know that stuff but i just don't remember but it's it's big and um it's preventable i really feel like it's preventable especially today yes we have uber we have lyft mm-hmm. we have options mm-hmm. out there yes and i even have seen at the bar, they'll have like breathalyzers that you can use at the bar before you head Do out they? the door. Because that's what I think we need too. I've seen that in our community. Yeah, because yes. like, like, I, how many like people really know what their their blood alcohol level is? Yeah, when they're drinking, do they really know? You're guessing. You're guessing. You're guessing. And also, when you have two drinks, you know, maybe you start to get tipsy. You have three, but after that, you don't even know if you've had three, four, or two. Exactly. And so it's kind of like, I, I, I almost want it to be a requirement to leave to acknowledge that you might be drunk and shouldn't drive. Like, I mean, I feel like that would be, I agree with you. More, I feel like at the, I wish like in an ideal world, mm-hmm. you had to take a breathalyzer before you got I in really your car. I really think it would be helpful. You, yeah. Headed it out the door from the bar. Because a lot of people don't know what their blood alcohol They don't know. Is. And you also don't, I mean, I'm kind of an, an anomaly when it comes to drinking. I can have one drink sometimes and I really feel it. And I can have three drinks sometimes and feel like I don't, right. it doesn't affect me as much. It depends on what I've eaten. Yes. I don't know. There's all sorts of factors so in it. So to just say I had a couple drinks mm-hmm. and I'm fine, mm-hmm. or even I had one drink and I'm fine, maybe not. Mm-hmm. You know, so there definitely needs to be some change. And it's shocking to me just in our own little community. What a huge problem this is. I mean, I'm thinking just since Maddie passed away, I know know of a a young girl and she honestly seemed to have a lot going for her that was um, driving drunk and hit a man and killed him. Yeah. And he was in another vehicle. He wasn't walking. Uh, And then most recently. Yes. Yeah. I know them all. I'm sure you do. And then most recently, oh, the three we had three little girls whose lives were lost Mm -hmm. because of a drunk driver. And it's like something has got to change. Yes, something has got to change. Yes, and I mean part of it, I think, when people hear, "Oh, he gets probation," that's not a huge deterrent to people. Yeah, no, you know, it's not, and it's. So if you look up like Sweden laws, right? um, And apparently, it's helped their um, drunk driving. Or it helps it's helped the, the the number of deaths they've had due to drunk driving decrease. Yeah. But their blood alcohol, um, it's a crime if you're caught drinking drinking and driving at point uh, zero two. Wow, it's a crime. I think you, I believe you serve time. Um, I just sent a message to somebody uh, who is having to go to court again about this with their drunk driver, but um, and I looked it up. It's a crime. Just your first. If you're caught, not even if you killed somebody, but if you're just caught. Sure. And I think with that, it's you can't go out and have a drink, especially not more than one, and drive home. Yes. Or you're basically committing a crime in Sweden. And yeah. it has helped. It has improved their their um, drunk driving rate. Uh, so I think, I think you could research that. But uh, 
Well, and I know in Utah, I believe this it is the effect point zero five, and there was a lot of people laughing about that. Oh, I can't use mouthwash without being pulled over. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is just ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, this is a the Utah Mormon drinking law. Mm-hmm. But when you look at what can happen, maybe that's the point we need to get to. Yes, it really is, and I just really wish that. Um, people would take more accountability for it and set an example. Just set that example. Like yeah. before you leave to go out, either one of, you know, if you go out with somebody, you know, somebody's the driver and they don't drink at all. Yes. Because sometimes drinks can inhibit you making bad decisions and then acting like you're fine. For sure. Oh, no, I didn't drink. Um, it's easy to do that when you're, when you've been drinking. But I think everybody should have a plan before they leave their home. Yes. Um, about what they're going to do. And really the cost of an Uber is so small. And I, I, I don't think anybody wants to find themselves, obviously, in my position, and nor do they want to find themselves a person that took someone's life. Or it's even, not worth that. Driving, uh, driving with one or two, I'm to, the, I'm to the point I say, don't drink at all and drive. Like, don't. Yep. Like, you can get in an accident um, in the daylight. You can get in an accident without alcohol. It, anyone can get in an accident. And, you know, I don't want to go into this case severely, but... I have a friend that did get in an accident and somebody died and her sentencing was pretty close to Adam's because she had to kind of settle so that she didn't, you know, for her to like pay the money to go fight that case would have cost her way too much money. So she had to like take a plea bargain. Yeah. So, you know, getting in wrecks can happen without alcohol. Yes. And even if you think about, I think the cost of a DUI, the it's like $10,000 or something. Compare that to the cost of an Uber. I think yes. it's worth getting an Uber, yeah. right? And even more so that you say you could, you know, just you would not want to kill somebody. No, no, and don't think that it can't happen. Don't think it can't happen to you. And don't think it can't happen to you because never did I think that. this. Everyone thinks that though. They think like, oh, I, I can handle it. Oh, I can. Yeah. Oh, I, I can drive, drive better drunk. I think people say that stuff. Like it's our culture. Wow. Like our culture. I see it all the time, and I don't even think that my daughter's death really affects. I can be at places, weddings, parties, whatever, and still see people drinking. So what do you think needs to happen? What are some things you would like to see happen? Well, I mean, for us, you know, as individuals, I mean, I did have a lady whom I work with say that she saw somebody, a friend drinking, and they had drank several, and they were going to drive home, and she did say to them, if you drive home, I'm calling the cops. Yeah. First of all, so as individuals, I think we need to take a stand. Um, which can be hard to do, um, but I think we need to take a stand. I also think that the bars might, you know, might help the bars to take more accountability and not that they, you know, it's their fault that somebody comes in and drinks, but, you know, possibly more awareness. Like, you know, how can they incorporate Uber into, you know, like let's say you go out the door and you blow into a breathalyzer and your blood alcohol level is at a level you should not drive and I'm a 50% off. I mean, I don't know. You know, I'm just coming up with ideas, but I kind of feel like a lot of it should also come from the bars because by the time that people get out on the road, you know, there's not a lot of cops. I mean, they, you know, they can catch so many, but they just can't catch them all. And so I feel like it would be helpful in that way that the bars, but also just stricter laws. I mean, I stricter laws. Yeah, for sure. I mean, why put people through what we've gone through? Why continue to do that if we can see that other countries have tightened the laws and it's working? It's effective. I mean, it's why? effective. Yeah. Like there was a, I saw, uh, and one of my friends who, who also had a son die by a drunk driver sent this to me. Like there's a man that 
uh, I think he he's serving like it was in the paper yesterday where he's grand theft and he's serving like 10 or 20 years. Incredible. Yeah, there's something very wrong with that in my mind. It doesn't make any logical sense. Yeah, I just don't understand. And sense. there's no consistency either in the no, cases. Like there's not. There's no consistency. It's like it just it p- depends on how much money if you can pay for a lawyer, you know, if you can't yeah. and you just get a, you know, it all of that plays factors in it, I believe too. Sure. You know, and I just I think that it just needs to be stricter. If you look up Sweden again, it's a crime to drink and drive if you're caught and that's not if you kill somebody. It's a crime if you're caught. You serve yeah. time. Yeah. I think that's the place we need to get to. Yeah. Cause, Cause then maybe people wouldn't do it. Exactly. What do you see working for you in your life because of this? Because I think all the time, and I hate even saying this to you because I'm just like, <laughs> uh, you are, you are nothing but a, a victim in this. Like sure. there, you, you, you didn't do anything wrong to deserve this. Like there has to be times when you're like, God, what did I do like to deserve this? Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I feel like we all have to make sense of tragedy in our life. We have to somehow to move forward. Mm -hmm. What do you want to come of this? Or how do you want Maddie's legacy to live on? What do you want? I mean, I think making sense of it for me is separate. Obviously, I want to live a good life from her her legacy. Like, I would not want to not live a good life um, because I'm her mother and I feel like I need, you know, I want, I don't want it to be like, Oh, Maddie died and her mom couldn't handle it. Like that, you know, so I, that I want to be strong to... for her. Yeah. Like she's still my daughter and she still lives yes. inside of me. I mean, yes. you can't see her, but she's with me and she lives inside of me and I miss her dearly. She was not just, you know, she was a friend. She was a mom. She was a good, um, cousin. Um, niece yeah good granddaughter too many and so I just don't want to be the mom that couldn't you know make it I mean I do struggle sure um but I I, you know I can see the you know there's there's good that not necessarily comes out of her death I don't want to say I know I hated to even go to that place like are there any blessings here at all Uh, sure I mean blessings of the goodness of people. Yeah. The goodness of, um, people reaching and lending a hand and understanding and, um, people who see me right now, it's like people who see me, who without me saying they see me, they see, they understand they've, they've thought about what maybe I'm going through and they see me still today, not just, you know, days after she died or months, but you know, nearly two years and a couple months. So, uh, they see me and that really means a lot to me. Um, and for me, like I instantly went into search for like, people want to give you all these positive, you know, they want you to be better. So they want to fix you. Right. And they can't, you cannot fix this. You cannot fix this. No. So, I think there needs to be awareness that we can't fix people's problems and we need to do better at like holding space for people and, um, stop with the toxic positivity. Like it's just not helpful for people suffering and not just suffering from grief, but suffering in life in general. Like, um, there kind of needs to be a revolution about that. That's a very important message. Nothing makes you feel worse than buck up you know I mean yeah how do I buck up from this or smile about this or and 
you know, if you read Megan Devine's book, she even goes into the, um, you know, the toxic spirit spirituality of it. And it, that can be toxic too. And, and a lot of people think it's really helpful, but you know, like, you know, God needs another angel is not, nope. Yeah. Not, you don't uh, want to, or, you know, the children need a, uh, a mom. Yeah. Maddie's children need a mom. Yes. They want their yes. mom and they will always want their mom. Yeah. And yep. um, they're well taken care of. They're well loved. Um, but nobody can replace nobody can Maddie. replace Maddie. And so, uh, just hearing that is not helpful. And people don't mean that. But um, so I guess in her legacy, I want to just um, you know be uh, awareness for those things. For people are hurting. We don't, we don't need to fix them. We need to um, hold space for them. And uh, and also that. It's okay. I should be hurting. Yes. Let's just say that if I'm not, there'd be, I mean, that's not okay. I mean, she was my only child. She was extremely important to me. Not only was she my child, you know, you know, she's now 24. She, her and I were friends, you know, best of friends, worst of enemies. You know, we'd been through a lot. She was, you know, strong-willed child. I mean, that relationship could never, I mean, I have to cry. Yes. It's important that I cry. It's important that I grieve. And if I suppress that, then I end up drinking or drugs or other things like that. And I think a lot of people suppress their stuff and they feel like they have to. Yeah. Well, you get a good dose of me. I don't do that. (laughs) Like, I I just don't like it. And I, I think you can be positive and also share your stuff. Yes, absolutely. It can walk hand in hand. Like, I don't let it stop me, but I certainly am not going to say I don't hurt. I hurt a lot. I hurt every day. And I, I will still say I probably cry at least once a day. Maybe they're short lived. They don't knock my day out. Like it used to be like, oh, great. Today's gone. Like I'm crying all day. You know, that doesn't happen. Um, But I definitely have at least one a day. Yeah. Usually they're at night um, when everybody's in bed and you just go, What? This yeah. happened. This to is me. my life. Yeah, and so I, I, I just want to say that in her legacy, I would like to like just help people, um, you know, be real about life. That life is not always happy. I'm yep. sorry, it's not. It's not. I mean, even prior to this, and people will always say to me because I've been through this, like they'll be like, "Oh, I shouldn't even say this to you because I know you're going through so much." But everyone's sorrow and problems are valid. And, yes, and uh, I'd so much important. rather know you and know what's going on in your life yeah. than try to figure you out. We don't need to sit and compare it. Yeah, there's or like, figure yeah or figure it out or yeah. fix it. Yeah, but just acknowledge that it's. It's yeah. there and that's what that person's going through and they're working through it. And yes. And it's hard to, in the society, talk about it because there's so much of this positivity. Yeah. Um, you know, it's toxic positivity. And yes. I, I that's myself. That's the first time I've heard that term, toxic positivity, but it totally exists. Well, I found a video because let me tell you, I went in search for this because what was happening is people were saying things to me and I was like, oh my God, that's stop (laughs) don't say that to me and you know some of my very close friends bless them um you know i would obviously say you can't say that to me yes because you were close enough to yeah you don't don't say that to me (laughs) and so um i went in to kind of search for it because it was bothering me so much right i hear these things and i would feel uh make me feel worse and so i went to kind of search for it and i did find a video about it and it's posted on my wall but it's about toxic positivity and um it, it it's 
if we were not feeling our, you know, grief, if we're not feeling sadness, if we're not upset about, you know, a job loss or maybe your kids being nasty, uh, we're dead. Like we're not alive. Right. And so I think that's how she put it. We're dead. And so it's okay to be like, we can live life with problems. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that we don't have to hide them. It doesn't mean you're crazy or you're less than or you're anything. I think I felt like that for a very long time. I come from, I love my parents. I do, but they want, you know, when they make a phone call, my response is always to be life is great. Uh So I can't say it's a bad day today or they don't know how to emotionally handle that. And I think we need to learn how to handle that. Yes. You know, with each other. Yes. It doesn't have to be thing. uncomfortable. It doesn't have to, you know, just be there. And like you said, create uh, don't support. Fix don't fix it. Mm-hmm. Just listen here. Yeah. Hear listen. it amount. And um, yeah. yeah so think. for me, that's kind of where I'm at at this moment. Like I, I, I just think there needs to be a little big shift in society in many ways and on how we handle sadness, how we handle grief. Um because nobody intends to make people feel bad. No. I think it's helpful, but it's just not helpful when you're really sad to hear that, you know, just buck up. It's <laughs> not going to help me. Like, yeah. I just would, ra- I mean, the best thing people could say to me is that they see me and that I'm strong and that, oh my gosh, you're doing, you know, I mean, cheer for me, fine. But don't even do that because I don't like a lot of attention. But I, I feel like there's better ways to let people know you see them and, don't try to fix them because I already feel broken as hell. Like I feel so broken. Yes. And there's nothing that they're going to say that's going to fix you. No. And I, and, and I already feel, you already feel lonely and, and, you know, I mean, I definitely now know what depression means. I mean, I thought I knew before and I had gone through bouts of depression in my life, but nothing like this. Um, but there's people that suffer all over. And I think some of the, you know, suicide rates increasing is there's because of the internet. Um, not only are there beautiful images of people, there's beautiful positivities, there's beautiful life, there's beautiful sayings. And it's no different than a Photoshop photo to me. So true. So true. Like it's refreshing when you see somebody tell me online they're I mean, if let's just be honest on there. I mean, if you're going to share your life online, share your life. Don't yes. just share the, the good and the bad. Yeah. But people are real. People don't, people don't really respond that well to the honesty, which I think yeah. I hope in the future changes because the Internet is powerful. And um, and I'm not saying walk around being sad all the time. I don't do that. I live in every moment as it is. And I try to live as I am in that moment. And I like your podcast that, you know, it talks about life is not perfect. And yeah. And, but there's a big image of that and it makes people suffer. And I think that's why the suicide rates are up. People can't measure up. Sure. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. You know, if I'm doing super good after losing everything in my life that meant the most to me, I mean, she meant the most to me. I mean, I could say that my husband would want me to say that she meant the most to me and I've lost that. And, you know, if I didn't be honest about how I feel, like if you're just having, you know, some depression in your life, you're going to feel like, <laughs> I mean, I, that's not going to make you feel if I'm like, Oh, I'm fine. Yes, exactly. Just positive one foot in front of the other. So I just, for me, it's not about it's, I live moment in the moment. I try, but then there's lots of times I'm thinking about my future and what looks grim, but then I have to remind myself to come back to the moment because I can't control that. Um, but it doesn't mean I can't go there too. I need to be prepared for what could happen and some things that are going to happen because of this. Yeah. Um, but 
to not fear my sadness. Yeah. And so you asked how I get through this exercise. Like I'm really grateful that I exercised a lot and that that was important to me and I knew how good that would make me feel. And so I knew I needed that right away. It's super key. And I'm not even a gym rat to any degree, Uh but I have learned like, go take a walk. Yes. Do, you know, just get out and move, do something because there's some weird, very cool connection between moving your body and, you know, making yourself feel a little bit better. Oh, it you clears know? it all out. And so I would do that like early on even. I'd be like, we have to go for a walk. Yes. And so to change the course of my day from being completely full of grief to even if it was just that walk that I changed it, I would yeah. do that. And so yeah. I knew that and I'm very grateful to have that in my life uh, um, because it's powerful. And also that I was... Um, you know, I, I was healthy because this takes a toll on me physically as well. Like it's not just, Grief like, does. it takes a toll on me physically. And not, even when I'm, you know, trying to be healthy, it's taking a toll on me physically. Yeah. And so, um, I was very grateful for that. And I also, you know, yes, teach yoga. So I'm really grateful for yoga, but I'd also had purchased like this harmonium and I'd started playing this harmonium, which is a <laughs> healing instrument. So I had purchased it like two years before she died and that. Sometimes I'd be, I have an attic, so I'd be up in that attic like all day long playing that thing and, that's what and chanting that day. and singing and that's what got me through it and that's what got my mind off the, uh, you know, horrific thoughts in my head is playing that and, um, you know, chanting and um, it sounds, <laughs> you know, it, it was really the only thing that got my mind off of it. And yeah. so I would do a lot, a lot of that. So those are the things that got me through. And again, a very supportive system of friends. Um, thank you, friends. And an excellent husband. It's true. It's yes. not a lie. He's extremely excellent. I'm so glad I you lucked out. That. And Maddie has a good dad, too. So I lucked out. We have a good support system. Um, so I, I'm really grateful for that. And so, you know, rally for people that are going through big times. It matters. Um, you know, doing things, showing up and seeing them. Yeah. Well, Crystal, thank you so much for being willing to share your story. Yes. I know it's not an easy story to share. Yes. And you're welcome. I, I just want you to know, I'll never forget your daughter. I remember oh, when that you. happened. Like I, she just was one of those people that stood out in my mind. It was like this beautiful. Oh, once you met her, you would love her forever. Girl, young girl and things like that should never, ever, ever happen. So thank you. I just hope that we can bit by bit make a change in this world so this doesn't have to happen to families yeah it shouldn't happen to families it should happen to no one it's just a sad sad thing to happen but yes thank you she was an amazing you would have loved her (laughs) i'm sure everybody did uh you would have loved her thank you chris yes